0: Bookstew viewers, today I'm very honored to have with me as my guest Nancy Parsons who lives in North Reading and wrote a book that was recommended to me. Um, It's not her only book but this is the book we're going to focus on today. It was recommended to me by Marty Kane who's the volunteer coordinator for our own bookstore next door. So when people recommend books, if it's something that I haven't been particularly dying to read, sometimes I put it To the side in a nice little pile and uh, this December the pile started overflowing and I stopped taking out books from the library and I got to my pile and I came across this and it's a book of personal essays and it was so delightful that I got a hold of Nancy and I invited her to come on the show and I'm glad that she agreed to join me but first I'm going to before I introduce you I'm going to read a couple of quotes just so you know a little bit about her So this quote made me laugh out loud. It's in an essay called Looking Up John Candy's Nose, which in and of itself is pretty funny. And she says, I was contemplating the garage rafters one afternoon and muttering when the little girl from next door materialized at my side and looked up at me. I tried not to show that I was startled. Who are you talking to, she wanted to know. I don't know, myself, I guess. She regarded me unblinkingly. Why, she asked, you already know what you're gonna say. So that just, talk about out of the malice of babes. And as a way to introduce Nancy to you, I'm going to um, read a little excerpt in a little chapter called Old Dame Writing. Nancy is the old dame, and when you see her, you won't believe she's old, but in any case, she says, I have made my living writing. I figure I've written everything except poetry and pornography. Here's the list. Juveniles, plays, remedial reading material, business letters for myself, business letters for other people, short fiction for magazines, humor, how-to articles, technical white papers, trifold brochure copy, advertisements for national magazines, memoirs, novels, facility brochures, press releases, obituaries, eulogies, sympathy letters, congratula- congratulatory letters, catalog copy, newspaper articles, financial documents, technical documents of video scripts, and full-length nonfiction books. So now it is finally time, without any further ado, to introduce you to Nancy Parsons. Nancy, You are the old dame dancing. You certainly don't look like any kind of old dame to me. I welcome you to Book Stew. Thank you, Eileen. The um,
1: subtitle of that book is Essays from the Eighth Decade.
0: Okay, I have to stop you right there because um, reader, uh, viewers, if you think, everyone who thinks Nancy looks like she's in her eighth decade, raise your foolish hands. Nancy.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, a lot of people think if you're in your 8th decade that you are somewhere in your 80s, and that's not the case. Uh-huh. Because when you're born, you're, everybody's born, and then they live 10 years, and they've already lived through their first decade. And by the time they hit 20, they finished their second decade, and it goes on from there. So, it just means you're in your 70s, and I'm smack in the middle of mine.
0: Well, uh, you don't look a day over me, that's for sure. How did you get started in your writing career, Nancy? I've
1: always been a writer. I've made my living writing. Um, and as you pointed out in what you read, uh, I'd write anything uh, as long as the checks cash. That's, that's fine with me. And I can't not write. Um, it's just what i do every day it's how i process
0: speaking of processing though how how was the transition for you when we moved on to writing in a notebook into word processing into computers Mm -hmm. into everything being on your phone how was how did that affect you
1: well i started writing on old typewriters of the kind where i can't even imagine doing it now where the you know the (laughs) fingers what strength? And then I got a Brothers portable and I think the first computer I started writing on was an IBM PC and it was wonderful, Your, the figures just, just fly. And I've an IBM Selectric, I've written my way through all kinds of technology and I'm not a technological person. But when it comes to writing and the feel of a keyboard, that matters so much.
0: You, I know there is a software program that you can use that kind of makes your keyboard go clickety clickety click so that when you're hitting the keys it sounds like a typewriter, really? which seems silly but might almost be comforting a bit.
1: Um, maybe to some. Not not <laughs> you're to me. Really. I just that. love that silent
0: oh I just love it. And how um, how do people so one of the most intriguing things about what you've written to me is the whole field of ghostwriting, which is which uh, to me is pretty marvelous because I assume there are times when you actually when you're you get credit for co-writing and there are times when you're completely hidden. So how do people find you?
1: Well, I'm not sure I want them to, but I'll get to that later. I, I in a way I've always ghostwritten because when I was writing uh, advertising material or remedial reading stuff, my name wasn't on any of the books or any of the material. And I didn't care, as my name was on the check, that was enough for me. (laughs) Um, I retired from advertising uh, in 2000 to write my own books in my own voice, because I was always writing in someone else's voice. Uh, But from time to time, um, people have come to me and asked me if I would write their story. And so I got into ghostwriting that way. And it's, uh, and I I haven't done, had a lot of ghostwriting clients because I'm very particular. Um, I have to know the person, I have to know that they're interesting because frankly there are some bores out there or people you don't want to be, it's a very intimate
0: experience. Sure. And you have to be selective. Um, So how would you, let's say I was a bore. And I asked you to to help me to write my boring memoir. So, I mean, if someone reached out to you personally and you uh, found enough about them that you knew this was not your cup of tea, how would you you handle that? Well,
1: as I said, I would either no-bid the job, give you a price that was so high that Uh. your nose would bleed and you'd (laughs) leave me alone. Uh, Or I might just say that it just was not it was not the kind of work that I would do. I don't know. It would have to depend on the on the situation. Um, but ghostwriting is a lot like being a stage actor. An actor has to learn his or her lines, but they also have to learn the character and become the character that they want to portray. And the ghostwriter does that too. Uh, you have to subsume your own voice and allow the client's voice to come through. And after a while, this is interesting, I, um, I was working with a wonderful man whom I've known for a long time, and he's, he's lived a wonderful life. And after a while, I was thinking in his voice and using his cliches and little sayings And the first draft that I gave to him, he came back and said, oh, I I just sound like such a ridge runner. Wait, what's a ridge runner? I had no idea. (laughs) But I knew that it wasn't. He was was brought up in very humble circumstances in rural New Hampshire. And I had a feeling it had something to do with that. And I never really asked him. um, But I said, well, this is how it is. The people who read your memoir, it was a memoir, are going to expect it to be in your voice, not mine. I mean, they don't want to read an English major. They want to hear what you have to say. OK. But the whole time we worked, and it took almost a year, he was say every now and then, oh, I sound like such a Ritchie. <laughs> Never mind. And then after his book was published and people read it, they would say, I could hear Gordon on every <laughs> page. It was just like being with
0: Gordon. I nailed it. <laughs> so, so that's interesting, though, to think. So maybe in the future when something popped into your head or you said something, did you say to yourself, oops, that was Gordon oh, who just yes, popped I out? Yes, I did
1: for about a couple months afterwards. I can't, I can't do it now. I can't do Gordon now but i but i could it was uh, i could if i went back and you know
0: read the book again so speaking of that book in particular since you brought that one up how um, so does he do any of the people you ghostwrite for or with do they ever give you a manuscript and you work on it or you're starting your they have a blank slate except for what they're narrating to you or do they share letters uh, with well, you well i was going to say no but in fact yes
1: i i have not written that ghostwritten that many books. But one book, that was the case. Um, I did some ghostwriting in it, but it was actually a collective memoir. Um, And one of the important characters had about five handwritten pages of memoir, and it was important that we have more of his material. And I did uh, ghostwrite that from from listening to him and, and talking with him. So
0: a collective. So it was a group. A memoir of a a group of people. Yes, it was. was How well that—that's. I've never even thought of that as something that you would ghostwrite. How did that compare to doing just one? Well,
1: I took. um, It was. It was was a prisoner of war from Hmm. World War Two, and about twelve of the men afterward, years afterward, wrote their memoirs, and some, a couple of them wrote long and beautiful memoirs. And then a couple you know, had just very short bits. But the fellow who I worked with, and he was really uh, the one who was putting the project together, um, I had to interview him and, and make him come forward on the paper, on the page.
0: What was your question? <laughs> no, you, got, you nailed it. Now, okay. so th- there's a lot of
1: interviewing involved, oh, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah, you talk to people. I'm doing one now um, that is, I'm having so much fun. It's a dual memoir because it's a couple who, in retirement, became farmers. Ah. And uh, so I'm, I interview them. I didn't know how that was going to work, and I didn't know how I was going to put it together. Uh, but I finally decided that I would have his voice and do a, you know a paragraph, and, and then her voice, and so it's like a conversation that they're having, and that's how we've conducted the interviews as as a conversation, mostly between them. I try to keep
0: pretty quiet during the interviews. So, um, is your when you ghostwrite a book, does your name appear at all anywhere? Like it depends
1: on, the... on uh, no or. Um, Usually, no. Although on the collective one, I, uh, it was collected by ah. Jimmy Arsenal was
0: with Nancy Parsons, very and small tiny, type. Right. And since
1: I also design the covers, I um, can you know do it small.
0: So then, so then you're not only a writer, you're also a, a designer. Did that well, come I about that. in advertising? Yeah, you? I was a creative director.
1: Before we leave ghostwriting altogether, I have written a series of books about a ghostwriter. She's the main character. Is this your mystery series? Well, it isn't a mystery series. It's, um, I call it intrigue. (laughs) All of the series have um, ethics, psychology, and intrigue. Uh, And if people don't know how it works out, that's the intrigue. But it really isn't a mystery.
0: So what's the difference between, and I had a mystery author on, and I asked him the difference between a mystery and a thriller, which was interesting. So what's the difference between mystery and intrigue?
1: Well, I think mystery is something that the reader is sort of trying to solve as you're reading, second guessing. How is this going to, to happen? Whereas I think intrigue is just I want the reader to keep reading because they don't know what's going to happen. It's a fine line. Uh, but, I, but I make a distinction between <laughs> mystery and intrigue. And um, what is your character's name? Her name is Nell Bain. I brought a couple of her books, of the Nell Bain books.
0: And at what point in your career did you write these? So let's show them to the camera, too. i okay, those
1: to you. I, um, I never wanted to write a novel, and I never expected to write a novel, but it's the library's fault. Blame it on the library. Blame it on the librarians. They were uh, interested in doing... A, a NaNoWriMo project in town. Mentioned
0: to everyone who doesn't know what well, that is. Well, that's
1: National Novel Writing Months. And I thought it was the silliest concept I'd ever heard. And the object is to start on the 1st of November and quit on the 30th of November and in that time span write uh, a novel of 50,000 words. Well, that sort of demanding, but, you know, it, it wasn't that hard. Um, I was annoyed when I was writing it, because I thought it was silly. But I found out that I liked writing novels. They're very easy to do. So wait, this is the first novel you ever no. wrote? No, 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 For not this be, one? no, neither of those. Okay. But the first novel I ever wrote was called The Dog That Managed Hedge Funds.
0: <laughs> and
1: um, that was fun.
0: I bet it was a pit bull.
1: No, no, it was, it was just a big big black, well the concept was a very corrupt hedge funds manager dies of a heart attack and comes to life again in, not in a cell, uh, you know, because he'd been convicted, but in a cage in a dog shelter <laughs> and he's found himself in this, this big black dog. Um, and there's an animal communicator who communicates with a dog, and he leads her into investment. Anyway, it was great fun. <laughs> but I decided that I would write uh, a series of novels, and I wanted to have a main character who could have clients come to her in each book, bringing their stories and their own agendas. Well, wh- And, so, so and she- what is she? Nell Bain is a ghostwriter. Oh, that's okay. And so the these connection. are her, go, you know, the forger comes to her ah. and, and the painter. And, and
0: there are five or six in the series? There are six. That's, I think that's, uh, That's. do you give your, the library credit for getting you started on oh, the Oh, I series? blame them all the time. <laughs> so when, now, so... Speaking about series, of course, we just know of a very s- famous series that had a wrap-up at X because Sue Grafton died before she could get to Z. Oh. Um, how did you decide when it was time to end the series? To end the book? I mean, oh, to, to say I th- have a oh, sixth, well, I'm not well, I did. I
1: ended the series. I, I wrote one about the Quabbin called The Ghost Lays the Ghost to Rest. And people who, like Nell Bain, kept saying, is that it? I said, that's it. I've, I'm retiring. But last fall I was, got
0: bored. Ah. So I did write The Ghost and the Forger. Okay, so that, and that was the sixth one? Yeah. So how soon do you think it'll be before you get bored again and bring her I, back I, again? I'm not at all sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's just on a I, I, You know, I,
1: I think, I think you can overdo something and that's why I ended the series. But? But then I got bored.
0: <laughs> okay, well I'm, I, you're, you are certainly not a bore to our viewers, but before we run out of time, I would love you to do a reading from Old Dame Dancing, okay. and we had a consultation, and I suggested five pieces that you could possibly read. So um, why don't you introduce us to the one you're going to read, and then read away, please. All right.
1: You know what? I'm going to take your advice, okay. and I'm going to read one called This is Someone's Lunch. One summer, my daughter declared she was sick of thinking, and she would, on her summer break from college, seek a job where she could mindlessly accomplish a task. In a short time, she found such a job, a job making sandwiches for a canteen. You know those small trucks that look like they're made out of aluminum foil, the ones that come careening into parking lots at industrial parks, hooting their distinctive horns as a signal for workers to come out and purchase food for lunches and coffee breaks? One of those outfits would supply her summer job. So every morning Elizabeth rose well before dawn and went to work building sandwiches that she would wrap and watch loaded into a tinfoil truck. She is an intense person, Elizabeth, and she became very focused on this work. I try to remember, she said, that this sandwich I am making is someone's lunch. Maybe this sandwich is the single thing that this worker has to look forward to in his day. Maybe it's the best break in a job that is tedious or uncomfortable. And so I remember this every time I make a sandwich and I make sure that the food in it is neat, not with lettuce hanging out sloppily and not with the tuna just glopped in the middle instead of spread to the edges and not with the bread slices not matched up squarely. There was no note of altruistic altruistic satisfaction in her tone, no whiff of nobility or high-mindedness. She made this statement rather grimly, I thought, and I knew she could see the worker who would eat this sandwich. She had probably envisioned an entire life story for him. He would have a mother with a cancer diagnosis or a car payment due that would leave him strapped, if he could scrape up the money at all, that is. Or he'd have a boss who was unreasonable or cranky, or he'd be facing an evening of ineffable dullness with nothing more hopeful than a dreary TV schedule, a boiled hot dog, and a beer. Elizabeth built sandwiches all that summer, but thinking about what she was doing never escaped her. She never forgot that she was making someone's
0: lunch. I, I just love that. To me, it, it was like um, a movie in two pages. It was a, 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 a perfect portrait of you said, I, I thought she had such character. You said, well, she is a character. Um, but to be able to, ca- to capture a summer, a job, a thought process, and even um, be able to imagine um, making somebody, if not happy, then at least not discontent, all in those two pages this is one of the reasons why i wanted to meet you in person and to have you on the show thank you Um, you're writing in and this is a book of personal essays old dame dancing is and it uh, put me to mind of irma bombeck which i'm not sure that many Bookstwo viewers would know who Irma Bombeck is, but you and I had a little discussion. Well, I'm in my eighth decade, <laughs> <laughs> and I used to read her when you know when I was growing up. She was a newspaper columnist, and she would be in like the woman's section of the paper because there was such a thing yep. then. But that kind of uh, leads me into a segue about being a woman and being in advertising and uh, being a writer and a ghostwriter. Have you found that uh, attitudes have improved changed was your start out difficult (laughs) as a woman Um,
1: i was in technical advertising which means that everybody i worked with as a client was generally an engineer Uh, and my business partner was an electrical engineer so i in the 70s grew completely accustomed to being the only woman at the, at the board table or the, the meeting table. And I, <laughs> I needed a job. And I never found it difficult at all.
0: And you never found a uh, lack of respect or a what is she doing here type of thing? Or what is she somebody's wife? and You know, I, I probably am not too swift.
1: <laughs> but I'd say no. I would say no. And um, it, it just is how it is. Engineers, well, they're they're a class under themselves, and, and they usually respected what I what I was writing and the concepts that I would come up with. And I used to think, do how are they, you know, why? I would sometimes come up with. Um, concepts for entire ad campaigns while sitting in a tack bucket in a cold barn because <laughs> my daughter um, had a horse and she could only ride it at night up and up in, and I would drive her up to the barn and then just sit there in the tack bucket doing my work because I worked I, I did I, I worked many hours. Uh, but no, I never found it difficult. Now, there, and then more women began coming in uh, to advertising. And where they came in uh, mostly was uh, space reps, advertising salesmen. Uh, and there were a lot of women then. And, you know, it was, it was fine.
0: Uh, so did you, I have to ask the inevitable, did you watch Mad Men when it was on? And- My
1: business partner thought it was great. I watched a couple episodes and was bored. Um, Bored. Yeah, but he thought it was terrific. I, it just it wasn't what I was watching or something.
0: Well, it was probably not. Also not. I mean, if you were doing um, advertising uh, layouts and copy for engineers, that was the furthest thing from um, what Mad Men was dealing with. They would do um, yeah, ads but then there
1: were trade shows and and that was different. So it was it was good. It was it was. So how
0: long were you in? Were you? Writing your own uh, novels and ghostwriting oh, no. while you were in advertising, no, no, no. I was doing some
1: things like I would you know do a little freelance of remedial work, but no i uh, I really didn't do anything of my in my own voice
0: until I uh, retired in two thousand ah, uh, so. Um, I assume you enjoy your own voice better than having to be the voice of electrical yeah. engineers. Yeah.
1: Well, yes. So what's. But it wasn't as dry as you might think. You know, it 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 wasn't. Well, I
0: mean, you must. It must have been a great learning process because I, since you're not an electrical engineer, but you had to appeal to those type of companies in your writing. Well, in
1: that, um, my partner would, you know, I he'd go in and put in the hertz, or this is megahertz here. <laughs> he would add in all the technical stuff.
0: He'd put all the hurt in. Him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but a lot of it is coming up with, it's just problem solving. When a client would have a transistor, or a cyristor, or uh, an array <laughs> processor that they needed to, to uh, sell, it was just a case of asking them, you know, um, what do you want to do? Who is your competition? Uh, asking the right questions and then going away, sitting in a tack bucket and thinking up a creative
0: way to say that. So did you put bring the tack bucket into your living no. room now? No, nobody so ever knew that
1: <laughs> where those concepts were being developed.
0: Well, but now we know and I'm afraid that we're out of time so we can't even explore whether you have a tack bucket in your living room or not. <laughs> but Nancy, it's been del- absolutely delightful to have you with me and I'm going to uh, include in this episode uh, not only the cover of uh, Old Dame Dancing, but some of your other series and some of your other books. And I'd like to very much recommend them. And thank you so much for coming on Bookstube. My pleasure. It's been a great fun. Thank you. Good night, viewers. Um, I hope you'll pick up a copy of this. And I, I know you'll uh, you'll be putting as many stickies on it as I have on my copy. Have a good day.